listeners. I'm sure I have male listeners as well. Welcome to episode six of Mommy and Wild Black hosted by me, LT. As you know, I'm from New Orleans, but I currently reside in Houston, Texas. All right. So this is episode six of Mommy and Wild Black. It's a podcast where we talk about raising children 24-7, 365 and doing it all while black. Unorthodox is normal here, sis. And it's definitely going to be an understatement with this episode. Here on this podcast, we talk about relationships, spirituality, health, self-worth, and the butterfly effects of all of these. So today's episode, we're going to talk about how being a Black mother in America is a form of PTSD. Um, this episode, I'm sure, is going to be heavy. And so... um. I'm going to say this, we're going to hold space. We'll hold space for everyone that's on here um, with this podcast, because I also have two guests that I'm about to introduce. We're also going to hold space for the mothers, the fathers that are not able to, you know, share their voices and for the ones that have lost children, um, that have lost husbands, that have lost brothers, that have lost sisters, that have lost aunts, that have lost nieces, nephews, um, mothers. So, yeah. Um, so on this episode, first person I want to introduce is Nichelle. Nichelle um, is the owner of her business, which is called Excel, X-C-E-L-N, like November Life. So Excel in Life. She is a business that is based out of Baltimore, Maryland. So East Coast girl, um, most bubbly personality I've ever met. Her business is all about taking your customer service up a notch. We are all customers in life. Right, Nichelle? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Yeah, so we are all customers in life. And whether you are giving customer service or receiving customer service, customer service is everywhere. It is in us. It is how we barter. It's the way that we get things done. Um, and it is the thing that we leave behind when we leave. So it's the experience that we give, the way that we leave a place. So, um, Michelle, if you want to say anything else and introduce yourself and whatever you want to say. I really believe you said a mouthful. Thank you for that amazing introduction. Hello, everybody. I hope everyone is having a great day. And it's nice to meet y'all. Nice. Thanks. All right. And next, I want to introduce my second guest. Her name is Yoli. She is the CEO of... Freedom Architect, not that Michelle is not the CEO as well, because she is the CEO of Excel in Life. But I specifically said that about Yoli because Yoli is all about taking you from MEO to CEO. So what her business is, is that um, she is all about showing you how to master family legacy, um, lifestyle and wellness, how to do it, how to do it well. 
Um, you want to be a multi-hyphenate in all of those areas and not a dabbler. So of course, if you're somebody like me, I'm notorious for starting something and not finishing it. But shout out to being on episode six of this podcast and doing it every week. But um, yeah, so you want to be a multi-hyphenate and Yoli is extremely experienced in that area. So everybody, uh, nice to meet Yoli. So go ahead, Yoli. Hey, hey, y'all. Thank you so much for having me on here. I am so happy to meet you all. That was, as Michelle said, the most beautiful, well-rounded introduction. Um, there's nothing else to say, but hey, y'all. Can't wait to get into this. Nice. All right, ladies. So thank you again for both of y'all being on. Um, also, the topic that we're talking about today, just, you know, if you ladies want to confirm as well, um, nothing that we're talking about has been rehearsed. No questions have been asked to you ahead of time. This is all raw and off the cuff. 100%. 100%. All right. So I don't know what y'all going to get. <laughs> all right. Um, so as everybody knows, um, whether you reside in the United States or you're abroad, on Sunday uh, this week, Dewante Wright was pulled over by police in Minneapolis. Um, and the female officer that I'm not going to give any uh, name dropping for her, um, pulled over this young man while he was in the car with his girlfriend because he had an air freshener hanging in his window, which is a minor infraction to my understanding in Minneapolis. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of laws that are on books, a lot of laws that don't get enforced. Um, so I'm always intrigued by which ones, you know, are used as the pretext for pulling over black people. Um, and so this young man, 20 years old, got pulled over uh, for air freshening in the car. Allegedly, he had a warrant. Um, and in the process of that, this young man, he called his mother. His mother answered the phone. He let her know what was going on. And uh, his mother called his dad. And um, the end result of that altercation was that this young man was shot. He was shot and killed with his girlfriend in the car. This young man has a son, a baby. Um, was If you see pictures of him, he was just a baby himself. And he was gunned down. Um, and the officer said that she said that she pulled her gun out and shot him on accident. Um, that she meant to pull her taser. And before we saw any body cam videos, any dash cam videos, anything like that, we were told that, you know, this officer was in extreme distress. She was so upset that she did that, which was total bullshit. Um, and this young man just died. And then his parents came to the scene and they let him stay on the ground for hours. Um, very reminiscent to me of Oscar Grant, um, who was killed by Bart police officer in California a few years ago, um, which is what the movie Fruitvale Station was based around, but also reminiscent of Michael Brown. You just lay on the ground, you get gunned down, you get murdered, 
and you stay on the ground. Um, and so no respect for life, George Floyd, no respect for life. He just laid there on the ground, knee on his neck, eight minutes, 46 seconds, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. Um, no aid is rendered, nothing takes place. And so this is just, it's just been a long week. And also during this week is George Floyd's trial. So in where? Minneapolis. So the same place where DeWante Wright was murdered, a police officer is on trial, also shall remain nameless for killing George Floyd. And everybody saw it. Everybody saw this man murdered, crying out for his mother, almost like DeWante Wright, right? He called his mom. And you just, I, it's just, you know, and so before we jump into the dialogue, let me give a little bit of background. I'm a single mother. I'm raising a son. My child is four years old. Yoli is married, has two boys, amazing, dope little humans. And Nichelle is married. Um, both of these ladies are married to black men. She has two daughters. And I want to start out by saying that it does not go light on me that um, women are also losing their lives as well. Tatiana Jefferson, Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, like um, Latanya Haggerty. It just, it does not fall light on me um, that women are also losing their lives as well in this. And so um, I just want to have a real raw, a real candid conversation about what that is and how we're feeling. Um, so Ladies, whichever one of you want to start. Um, so, yes, I'll, I'll definitely um, share my experience on um, just this past Thursday. I had a very real um, emotional experience with what is happening. Um, and it's not that I haven't ever. Um, I've had multiple emotional experiences because I have a black husband, I have black brothers, black sisters, um, and black sons. And so in realizing that in society, there is so much work to be done to humanize our men, our women, ourselves, even, that I came to grips with the fact that regardless of my children being raised in the God-fearing home with a present father, um, being intelligent, my children are brilliant, kind-hearted, gentle, serving, empathetic, compassionate young men that it holds no weight because of the color of their skin. My son just turned 14. He's 5'9", a whole 140 pounds. And because of his appearance, his stature, he could be viewed as a threat. That's crazy. That's crazy. But that's real. Yeah. But that's very real. Yeah. And he can't afford to have a bad day. We can't have a bad day on the outside of our home. And imagine what that feels like, what that teaches them emotionally. And the fact that I have to tell him that 
Like, man, you are human, just like your white counterparts, your classmates. But you can't say OF beside an officer or this, in, without being deemed a hostile black man. But we can literally watch white boys cuss officers out and still pull away from a traffic stop. Not be deemed aggressive. They turn colors. They spit when they're angry. But they get to drive home. So, the fact that you said, fun. the fact that you said, you know, your child can't have a bad day. You can't, you can't have a bad day. You can't have an off day. You can't be angry. You can't, the emotions that come with being a human, right? Because otherwise you're a robot. The emotions that come with being yeah. a human, I can't experience emotions because if I experience an emotion, that everybody can experience, I am a threat. I am a black identity extremist. I am a terrorist. I mm -hmm. am the boogeyman. I am like, that is just beyond, beyond frustrating, beyond frustrating, beyond frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading uh, Mayo Clinic defined, uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, says that it's a mental health condition that's triggered by a terrifying event, either experiencing it or witnessing it. Symptoms may include flashbacks, nightmares, and severe anxiety, as well as uncontrollable thoughts about the event. Most people who go through traumatic events may have temporary difficulty adjusting and coping. But with time and good self-care, they usually get better. <laughs> if the symptoms get worse, last for months or even years, let's talk about 400 years, right? If the symptoms get worse, last for months or even years and interfere with your day-to-day -day functioning, you may have PTSD. You know, the thing that like really got me with that was that it says it could be temporary difficulty adjusting and coping, but with time and good self-care, they usually get better. When the hell do we have time to get better? When do the hell in the hell do we have time to have good self-care? How can I... Go ahead, Nichelle. No, you took the words out my mouth. Like, literally, you, I was just thinking that. Like, when do we, when do we, as period, as black people, get to have a self-care moment? Even if being intentional, like, we still have to be careful. You know, like you said, PTSD is like, it's anxiety, it's this, it's that. Let, let, let's talk about self-care. Um, my husband is traveling right now. My husband is the first time in 12 years that we've been married that he has traveled alone, no wife, no children. He deserves this, right? A little self-care. I literally am, have been stressing the whole time. He, he has driven through North Carolina, South Carolina. He's now in Jacksonville, Florida. 
And the climate outside, we all know, it's not getting any better. And all I can do is pray that if he has an encounter, he keeps his mouth shut and do what they say. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he does what they say. If they feel like killing him, they will. Just because. It doesn't matter what we do. You, we ride on the back of the bus. They, it doesn't matter. We're in the mall. We're sleeping in our own homes. It, we're on the beach. It doesn't matter what we do. Because of the fear inside of them, they're going to do what they feel is, ju- is justice. And then they're not going to go to, j- go to jail. They get to go home to their family. And I'm with Yoli. Like, they don't have to worry about their, their husbands um, not coming home. They don't have to worry about their sons, their sons returning home. They don't yeah. have to worry about any of that. But we do. And then they have these smart remarks that say, uh, well, they should have just complied. That doesn't matter. I literally watched. I did not watch the right video. I did not watch the 13-year-old video that was released. However, I did watch the video of the Caucasian man who actually drove off on the police, who had a gun in his car. They did not shoot him. They were patient with that man. With that man. And guess what? He arrived home to his family. It's like they do what they want when they want to, how they want to, because they know they're not going to suffer the repercussions of it. They're not. You know what? I'm watching. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm watching and I'm reading how they said they said the Rittner boy, what's his name, the, the Caucasian young man. Mm-hmm. Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, how they they they're raising money for this, this this young man and they're sending it to him. Law enforcement, judges, politicians are actually supporting this young man. So when we know and we have all these details and it's, it's like it's thrown up in our face, how are we supposed to react to this? You know what the because thing no that matter gets... how we react, it doesn't matter. And the thing, that re- the thing that really gets me with it is, you know, when you talk about self-care, it's about taking time out. When I think about self-care, it's about taking time out to decompress, to breathe, to clear your mind, to re-energize, to feel revitalized, to, you know, to, to meditate, to whatever it is that you do, you know, and, and there is no time. We, we, we can't even get a breather to to go through this George Floyd trial. Nope. And 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 you killed Dewante Wright. We get no, we don't get a breather. There's no, there is no breathing. There is no time to just you suffer traumatic experience after traumatic experience after traumatic fucking experience. And they wonder why when you stop, you know, you don't want to stop. You don't want to like only black people. People, maybe in Latino communities of color, they have to do the same damn thing. But we have to tell 
our children don't do this, don't do that. It don't matter what we tell them. It don't, it doesn't matter what we say to none of them because it you have to pray that they are in the care of the right officer, the right person yeah. who has God in yeah. them, who who yeah. who does not see them for the color of their skin, where there's no implicit bias that's built into it. Yeah. I was like, and we're talking about exactly. this. I mean, the fraternal order of the police is a cult to me, right? You you come in, they yeah. indoctrinate you. My sister is a cop in Louisiana, in New Orleans. My sister is a cop, Jefferson Parish police officer. And I love my sister. I hate she a fucking cop. 100. I have not talked to her at times because of things that have happened. Michael Brown, no indictment. I ain't talked to her for a long time after that because I look at her as is us and is you. It's us and it's them. That's my sister. My sister has a son, Caleb, grown a uh, young man. And, and I'm like, I have listened to my sister, my own flesh and blood. And whoever is listening to this, if my sister is listening to this, you know, she might feel differently. Some of my family members may feel differently. But one thing I said when I did this podcast is I was going to be unapologetically me and I was going to speak the truth, not just my truth, the truth. And the truth is, is I have been on the phone with my sister when she has been on calls and I have heard the way that she handles Caucasian individuals. And I have heard the way she talks to black people. And I'm like, we from New Orleans. This is home. These are our people. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever. Like, what you talking about? And I'm not saying that I should, you should treat black people better than white people. But what you should do is treat similarly situated individuals similarly. And so I'm yeah. like that, that bothers me. And I tell her, and my position is still the same to this day, that you can you can be a cop all you want. When Caleb come up against a cop, God forbid, but the reality is, is that we all are going to have an interaction with the police before we leave this earth. If, right, if, you know, we, you know, if they're a baby and they die, that's different. But most people have one interaction at the minimum as a black person with a cop. And whether you are the person being arrested or you the witness, you somebody in the car, whatever, you've had an interaction directly or indirectly with the police. And I'm like, you think some officer is good when they come up on Caleb and they see that he play basketball, that he look like he got tattoos, he tall, he's taller than them. He, I mean, my sister is used to play basketball. My sister is significantly taller than me. And you think they going to Care his mama a cop? They gonna hear anything about? They don't care about that. They don't care about that. They see him. He from New Orleans. Black kid, tattoos, whatever. They, they ain't nobody is caring about that. And so for me, when I experience this thing, I think back to um, I think back to uh, in my in law school, I took this class called critical race theory. And um, there's a, a article in there um, that talks about living with racism that was written in 94. And it was like, what is it like to be a black person in white America today? And it says one step from suicide. What I'm saying is the psychological warfare games we have to play every day just to survive. We have to be one way in our communities and one way in the workplace or in the business sector. We can never be ourselves all around. I think that may be given for all people, that may be a given for all people, but us particularly is really a mental health problem. It's the wonder we haven't all gone out and killed somebody or killed ourselves. And I 
like the idea behind that, the idea that a fear, like Michelle said, of my husband going on the road somewhere in the state, the climate of this country, you know, like, it's just crazy to me. Like, we can't, like, I mean, my mind just goes to all these things that we can't do while black. We can't sell music and CDs while black, Alton Sterling. You can't walk, Trayvon Martin. We can't jog, jog Ahmaud Arbery. We can't sleep. We can't ride as a passenger. We can't have mental illness issues. We can't drive with a damn air freshener hanging in the window. We can't drive without a license plate. We can't be transported to jail you know, decently, right? We got to be transported with no seatbelt and they got to drive crazy. And that's what killed Freddie Gray. We can't run away on foot after a traffic stop, steal cigarellos, because that's Michael Brown, sell Lucy's, because that's Eric Garner, right? We can't look at somebody while black, Emmett Till. Like, it don't stop. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't own a luxury car. You can't drive while black. You can't reside in a nice neighborhood while black. You can't swim. You can't seek help after a car accident because they killed a whole football player. Jonathan Farrell behind that. We can't fire a warning shot after a botch raid because then you'd be Breonna Taylor, right? You come knock on my apartment, you raid my stuff in the middle of the night and I fire a warning shot because I have a right to bear arms and then you die, right? You, you, can't, you can't see somebody shining a light in the window of your home and then go back out there to look to see who it is with your gun, a Tatiana Jefferson, because now I'm going to get shot, right? You can't travel interstate. We can't, we can't even be out where there's a no mask mandate in a pandemic, but there's a no mask mandate while black. Because then you would be every black New Yorker that got stopped for not having on a mask while white police officers gave out masks to white people doing the same thing. It's ridiculous. Man, it's endless amounts of things that cycle through my mind. And I was just having this conversation with one of my best friends. And there is no answer. There is no answer. And I'm not on a grab for answers. However, I am genuinely coming to the realization that the hate against us is something supernatural. Hmm. Like it's something, it's something supernatural that there is no human answer or explanation for because hate against us as black people it exceeds boundaries. It is. It exceeds state lines. It goes beyond the United States. We have a worldwide disdain that people have in this world against us. There is no explanation for that. The frequency of trauma we experience in this country is the only thing that separates us possibly from what is felt in other countries. However, it's still felt. It is still felt. 
I'm looking at videos. I'm, I'm seeing it happen in England. The black couple traveling to Ireland, uh, going to their Airbnb, being questioned. Yep. As though they don't belong outside of the bounds that others deem they should not cross certain lines. But there is something, you guys, that it just, it never sits well with me. The only comfort I find that I have is that there is no answer. And that is so unfortunate. It's unfortunate. The answer that I get comfortable with is that there is no answer. I can't even afford myself personal solace to make me feel like, oh, that can't happen to my baby. When I let him walk to the grocery store a block away from home, I can't even say that as a momentary comfort. I make him text me when he walks in the store. He texts me when he's checking out. And he texts me when he steps out. He texts me when he's at the gate, entering into our private gated community. Wow. I make him FaceTime me when I want him to walk throughout our gated community to the other side. What kind of life is that? And I'm telling you, all oh, baby, it's for your safety. I can't say, baby, you a target. Because I don't want him to have this embedded fear that I have to instill in him by just enlightening him about what kind of threat he is to people. And no matter how well I train my baby to love and serve and to protect their women, As long as I have is to be absent of the body and present with the Lord is the gift. That's where I'm comforted. Where I trust and I shepherd in my baby into the presence of God. And if he says they come home to him, that is my thing. You know what's crazy? You said, you said you have to train honor. You got to train legend. Let me pause for a sec to just talk about the gift that you have given your sons by just naming them honor and legend. Like that by itself, just, but you said something, you said train, train your sons. Train your sons. There's a difference, right? You didn't say the word raise. You didn't say raise young men. You didn't say raise a respectable young man. You didn't say raise, like you said train. Raising is easy. It's the easy part of parenting. That's what it should be, right? You have a child, you you give birth and you want to raise them. It's supposed to be a joyous time. It's supposed to be all of these things. 
but we have to train and training, right? When I think training, I think military. I think, you know, you've got these rigid things. You got to do this certain thing. You've got to walk within these parameters. You know, you have to walk this line. You have to do this thing. Don't look this way. Hold your head down. Be silent. Be unseen. Try to be invisible, which is hard to do because you're black, right? Training is a, you're, you're te- raising is easy. Training is something else. And that, like, that's just, it just bothers me. It just baffles me. And I think back to when I was pregnant with Bam, I didn't want to know the gender at first. I was like, I don't want to know what I'm having. I don't want to know what I'm having. I'm praying for a healthy baby, a happy baby, praying for God's protection, you know, all of these things. And one day I was like, I had given an envelope to my child's father and I was like, let's open it. And he was like, nah, because you're going to be upset. You open it. Let's just do what you said. We'll just wait. And I was like, nope, let's just go ahead and open it. And we opened it. And it was just he and I. And he had been wanting a child. I got six brothers. And he was like, he wanted a son. And God, I opened up that envelope and God gifted us a son. And in that moment, while he was jumping around, yelling, excited, taking a drink and everything when I couldn't drink. How rude. But, you know, like doing all of that. And I cried. I cried. I cried. I cried. I cried. We was in a presidential debate when I was pregnant. And Donald Trump was, you know, obviously got elected. But at the time, you know, the Republican front runner. And I cried. I grieved. I grieved for my son. They wasn't even born yet. I grieved because I'm bringing a a son. Not that it's any less stressful if you have a daughter. Michelle has all girls. But I grieved for my son. I grieved his interaction with the police. Um, I I thought I immediately thought back to Marcel was jogging through a park and got apprehended by the police. They hurt his shoulder and everything. They let him go. But that he could have died out there. He could have been killed. Because they said this, he was jogging, jogging while black. Ahmaud Arbery got killed jogging. And I just thought to myself, like, you fit a suspect. What kind of suspect? Black? It's like, and so it's hard for me to stand when I see, like, people talking about stop Asian hate. You know, I don't wish nothing on no other race. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever. Or people standing up with a LGBTQIA, elemental P, X, Y, Z, whatever the hell. And um, like, I'm like, you, I have to be forced to now, you know, we're, we, we're going to call them babies. They're not going to they're going to be gender neutral. And at four years old, they can decide if they want to be a boy or a girl, regardless Ooh. of their genitalia. Yes, or I got to go to yes, a, a place where it's gender neutral bathrooms or you want to ban on applications, the gender box, because we want to be gender neutral, or be gender fluid. And and. There is no being race fluid. I can't never. Everything is always forced upon us. I can't I can't force my black on nobody. You know what I'm saying? Like I got to be forced to, you know, and and 
when I think about like, it's, I'm sorry that things are going, you know, whatever in the Asian community, but I think to myself, and this is just me being blunt and I might be an asshole and I fuck it. I'll be that. When I go to the hair store, ain't, ain't Asian, Asian fucking people are following me around to see if I'm stealing and stuff like that. It was an Asian, you know, it, it, it's Asian people that went and killed that girl in California, 15 years old behind two dollars in orange juice and she had the girl the, the dollars the, the money in her hand so i'm 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 fucking struggling when i see shit like that but we start a black lives matter movement in 2013 and we fucking terrorists we walk around with black lives are essential black people matter or whatever and we get a you know blue lives matter we walk around saying with shirts saying i can't breathe and we got cops wearing shit that says i can breathe you know what i'm saying i can breathe like, what the fuck? We can't never force our shit on nobody, but we just got to take it and take it and take it and take it and take it. And somebody wrote, memory is a key factor. Experiences with serious discrimination are stored not only in individual memories, but also in family stories and group recollections. As a result, in discussing their negative encounters with whites, many respondents move easily from the I, quote unquote, of their own experiences to the, quote, we, that indicates both a broad racial consciousness and a sense of group solidarity. Repeated experience of racism significantly affects a black person's behavior and understanding of life. It shapes both one's way of living as family members, church members. You talked about church as employees, as citizens and one's life perspective. By life perspective, we mean one's model, one's paradigm, assumptions about and understandings of life in the social world. A black American's life perspective comes to embed a repertoire of responses to hostile and racist acts by whites. Let me insert police officers, which happen to be also not all white. Like other black Americans, those we interviewed have learned to cope and contend with racial mistreatment in a variety of creative ways and somehow to maintain their equilibrium. Mm. Wow. Maintain their equilibrium. It reminds me of this article I read. And you don't even have to read the article. Excuse me, but it shows why socioeconomically we are in such a detriment because as we know, it was a systematic ploy, right? And a part of me and, and this is where <clears throat> my faith and my life experience are beginning to hit crosshairs that I never thought they would. But I'm challenged with the temptation to teeter on the side of pride in my skin. Um, because I think about, it makes me think about when I heard Malcolm X say that desegregation was one of the worst things that happened to Blacks. For a long time, I did not understand 
that experientially. I understood what he meant logically. But experientially, I was like, what is he talking about, right? Because you only know what you know from within the paradigm you're in. Whatever the environment is, whatever the things that you are taught, that you pick up, are the things that you understand. So when you're a child, you don't know that you're poor, right? You're not faced with that. As a child, you don't know you're rich, right? It's not until you hit hit a certain life um, experience where your worldview starts changing. And I've got thought growing up that we were pretty good, right? We had all the all the um, nice clothes and things like that. When I had junior high school, uh, you know, I got nice clothes, nice shoes, it was decent. My, you know, my dad was like, oh, you fill in the blank, right? And it wasn't until I started getting an increased interest in personal finance. And that is when I was in my 20s. Once I had legend, I was like, wow, all right. Legacy starts letting me like like a levy straight up, right? So I was like, okay, what can I do to project and propel him forward in a way my parents weren't able to do for me? And it is at that moment that I began to understand and look at and study finances that it became evident to me what all the strikes against us are and what Malcolm was saying. Because the fabric of families dissipated, black communities eradicated. Out of anger for desegregation, what did they do? They started, banks started helping whites steal our homes from us in our neighborhoods. Hmm. They started limiting funding for parks and streets in our neighborhoods. They started taking away the things that we developed for ourselves. Some of our neighborhoods, you guys, were some of the most beautiful in certain states because we took care of our own. We didn't wait for the city to come and help uproot a tree. We had a neighborhood of men with soul and chains who would come and take care of a tree, keep the grass beautiful. Pharmacies, liquor stores, grocery stores, whatever you want to say, they were owned and maintained by us. Our men protected our corners. Yeah, we were being underpaid, but we made a way. We had communal style living. Therefore, that concept of you had 20 mamas on the block. So as soon as school let out, she knew from your teacher, who was also your neighbor, on block A that you were in trouble. So your first mama whooped your butt. Your second mama whooped your butt. Your tenth mama whooped your butt. And when your mama got home, she was number 20. Because we treated ourselves like a village. We took care of our own. And when desegregation happened, the family fabric of the black America began to disintegrate. Socioeconomically, they came in and ravaged our neighborhood. And when one, two white people moved in, the property value shot up. So we couldn't come back. Then they forced us into hood. Where they intentionally wouldn't send clean water. Where they intentionally wouldn't send street cleaners. But they intentionally didn't make sure that electricity hit our block. Systematic, y'all. Yeah. But that article presented itself in showing how, as a black woman, 
you guys may be familiar with this. It's a white man and a black woman on a racetrack. He's overweight. He got a suit on. She got a track suit on with a ball and chain attached to her ankle. She has hurdles. She has sharks in the water on her side of the track. She has bombs, police, and all these other parts of imagery on her side of the track that keep her from being able to propel. And because he's overweight, <clears throat> excuse me, right? Rich and overfilled, mm-hmm. his resources, right? That's how I interpreted the image. That may not have been their intent, but that's how I took it. He's uh-huh. overweight because he has an abundance and she's still outrunning him. Yep. But because of his access and his abundance, he can't make it happen. But where are signs, titles like lazy, animals, this, that, and the third? Are you kidding me? But then you have compassion on the elephant that got to get put down, right? Because the zookeeper keeps beating the elephant, and eventually the elephant gets tired and decides to crush somebody, right? You see the compassion you have? Mm-hmm. Michael the elephant Vick. decides... He's done with you beating on him. Hmm. And he realizes his power. He realizes his weight. And then responds after constant abuse. And you have compassion on the elephant. They humanize animals over us. Come on now, you ain't, you ain't, you're not lying. We talking about Michael Vick. Michael Vick did time for some dogs. Five years. Five years. You know that it can be a misdemeanor if you hit someone with your car, but it's a felony if you hit and run a dog in California? I can believe it. It's real. Every time we begin to live in our power, breathe our power. It's like when the wind, if the wind blow the wrong way, that gives notice that black people are starting to realize who they are and live in it, it's time to go on a exterminating spree. Mm-hmm. I don't care what nobody, I'm, I really believe this. They, as long as we can keep our foot on your neck, we can't give, we can't let our foot up off your neck. We can't let our knee up off of your neck. Yes, I heard you when you said you can't breathe. But if I allow you to get up off of this ground, then I give you another chance to get ahead of me. And not and so you're you basically take it in your own line and say, not on my watch. I have you exactly where I want you, and I'm going to take it a, a bit far. I'm going to kill you. This, this, this Negro, this nigger right here won't be able to get ahead of me. You, I'm telling y'all, y'all won't be able to tell me that they don't celebrate this behind closed doors. Hell yeah. Come on now. They told Kyle Rittenhouse, like you just said, they, they, they didn't put out money for this motherfucker and they done said, thank you for your service. 
and doing a good deed is some other shit, which I just sent y'all a text message. And to me, y'all, it was the federal nigger hunting license, right? You carry around this. You carry around this. And it says, having paid the license fee is hereby licensed to hunt and kill niggers, all caps, during the open season hereof in the United States. This license must be carried on person when hunting niggers again in all caps and gives the holder permission to hunt day or night with or without dogs. Season opens, Jan- season opens, and, and here's the shit, right? It says during open season. Notice this season opens January 1, closes December 31st. It ain't hunting season like regular you hunt deer kind of shit, right? This is, it ain't crawfish season. You can only get crawfish when they in season. The, the season is 365, 24 fucking seven. Like, and, and, and that is the way, this is why I'm saying it's just trauma after trauma after trauma after fucking trauma. When, when, when Dewante Wright got killed and we find out that George Floyd's girlfriend, George Floyd's girlfriend used to be Dewante Wright's teacher. We then find out, unbeknownst to me, I'm like, I'm stunned, blown away by that. But then I flip and it says that Fred Hampton, Black Panther Party, his aunt used to babysit Emmett Till. And then here comes, what's his name? Lieutenant, I know his first name is Karan. I don't want to butcher his last name. Um, Who just got pulled over, maced in everything, dash cam, he got his own dash cam, right? Because he don't trust him. He in uniform, right. full uniform, and you find out that this man's uncle was Eric Garner. And you don't, there is no break. There is no time to, to self-care. There is no time to get away from whatever because it's just trauma after trauma after fucking trauma after fucking trauma. I'm so tired. I am exhausted. What are we supposed to, I'm, I'm happy, what are we supposed to do? Don't nobody say pray. What are we supposed to do? Don't protest? What are we supposed to do? Hang out in front of your house? What are y'all protecting that one cop who just killed right? Her fucking house is gated. Did y'all know that? Hell yeah. And then the thing that kills me. She don't even got a job no more. How did who the hell is paying for these people to sit outside of her house and guard her? You know what? I guarantee you those cops sitting out there, they getting paid and they getting paid to sit out there. They t- they probably doing some shit like we're going to give y'all all a day, you know, where you could get paid or a couple days where you could get paid to volunteer, quote unquote. And they done volunteered to sit their ass outside of there because what? It's a fraternal fucking order. That's what it is. And because Donald Trump got elected, these people feel emboldened with their bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I said she has more protection than, like, give me some adioli. I don't know. If have y'all really, like, if y'all see this lady house, they have a whole gate around her house. Yep. A whole entire gate with patrol cars. Like, the neighbors were even on the news talking about it. One guy was like, I don't think it's right on both on both ends. I'm sorry. You actually had a police officer get on get on Instagram 
and actually film the difference between the gun and the taser. Don't tell me she didn't know what she was doing. Let me she tell you exactly what she Let was me doing. tell you something. I put on my, not I, I'm not even going to say I, I'm going to give credit to my team. When I was in law school, I was president of the Black Law Students Association for two years, almost two years. Um, I was briefly editor in chief of the Law Journal for Social Justice. And I resigned from that position because I didn't see eye to eye. And I felt like the law school was taking some preferential treatment for a white girl. Go figure. And so um, one of the things that we put on was this event called To Protect and Serve, a discussion about police brutality in America, the media's role in dispelling those stereotypes. And we had a panel. Um, at that time, we had talked to Oscar Grant Mother. Oscar Grant's mother, um, again, the movie Fruitvale Station, Behind that, we talked to the attorneys um, to have them. We flew one of the attorneys out. We had a lieutenant of the police department on that panel. We had a judge. Um, we had a internationally known um, constitutional law scholar who is also a Native American judge. Um, the first black female judge uh, was on the panel, um, but was also dean at uh, another law school, Penny Willridge. Um, and I say all that to say this, that um, for a couple of reasons. One, it just was the irony that the first black female judge was alive, not dead. That shit fucking baffled me um, in Maricopa County. But that the lieutenant, we, because we got the licensing to show Fruitvale Station for free, and we had a discussion and we had somebody from NBC Universal on the uh, panel as well to, you know, for the media side of it. And one of the things that that lieutenant said um, for the police department was that there is you you cannot mistake your gun for your taser. And I'm never going to forget that. Never going to. I was so like. My dad had just passed away and my team, my, my executive board, my leadership board, they stepped up in an amazing way. And I just sat back and when you had the opportunity when it was over to talk to people, everybody flocked around that police officer. Everybody flocked around that police officer. And I thought to myself, like, to just, you know, like, to, what kind of flack might he receive? Because he spoke out and said, you didn't mistake Yo, you know, your gun for your taser. Like, it's not they, even the same they thing. Are, no, they are intentionally, they are intentionally designed to feel different. They are intentionally designed to feel different. Have you, mm -hmm. have you, you ever held a, a taser and a gun? Have you ever yourself personally? Yes, yes, I have. And it's a ridiculous. taser. It's huge difference. It feels plastic. It's, uh -huh. it's not ergonomic. There is no grip lines for your fingers. Nope. And it's bulky. There it's a huge difference. I agree. I agree, Yoli. You have a big point. When I was my brother's in the army and he has like seven guns. And when he takes me, he takes us to the shooting range. Those guns feel much heavier. Like, first of all, 
metal is cold. Yes. So it doesn't yeah. have fingerprints or those imprints on it like the taser do. Tasers are, like you said, they're plastic, right? There's a big, you know holding steel, holding metal versus holding plastic. Yeah. You do. You do. Yeah. Yeah. So when she said it was a mistake, but guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it was a mistake. Well, it was, no, I'm sorry, not a mistake. It was accidental. We now have to sit through another trial where they have to, is she guilty or not, or, or innocent? Even though we've seen the videos of what she did. Nene, Nene, you too far ahead. What are you talking about? They haven't even decided if they're going to charge her. Oh my God. Another trial. Oh my God. I just, you know the shit, you know, you know what I really. There is a distinct difference. This is crazy. You know what really gets me about it is the idea that to say I accidentally shot, you know what I'm saying? Like we go through the same, another thing, trauma. I went to law school with the idea that I would practice sports and entertainment law, Pollyanna of me. I would practice sports and entertainment law. I make a shit ton of money. I know a lot of athletes. I know a lot of people in the league. I make a lot of money. I'd be an agent and I would practice criminal defense pro bono. And I remember talking to someone um, in Miami who happened to be closely aligned with Cory Booker. And he was like, you're on the wrong side. You got to be on the prosecution side. And he was trying to tell me why I should be a prosecutor and stuff. And when I hung up off of that call, I remember driving down the street in Phoenix on Broadway. And I started to, we were headed into Tempe and I started crying. Marcel was driving and I was just like, I, in that moment, that was the moment that I realized that I would be one person trying to fight everything. Like it's not enough Lee Merritt Esquires out there. It's not enough Donnie Roses. It's not enough Sean Kings. It's not enough, you know what I'm saying? It's not enough Benjamin Crumps. It's not enough, it's not enough to change. You can't change the system. The system works. We talk about the system is broken. And I remember writing that. I remember getting into it with law students. I remember Joe and Derek reaching out to me and me not talking to them for a grip because I responded to this white girl, Amanda Newman's comment when I about Michael Brown, no indictment. I'm like, if you're not an ally, shut the fuck up. And I'm not one to like get on social media and go or whatever. Like I see you when I see you. And so, but I remember them saying something to me about that. And I remember thinking to myself that if you don't want to hire me because that's what they said. Nobody would want to hire me because of that deleted off Facebook. I deleted my Facebook. I never got Facebook again, but I didn't delete it for that reason. I said what I said and then I waited. Um, and a law school put together this thing to talk about, you know, everything that happened, but they were just like, you know, they're not going to hire you. You won't get a job LT take it down. And I'm like, I don't want a job. If they don't want to hire me because I spoke up about it, then I don't need the job. I don't need to, to work there. But I just remember feeling so 
Like I wasted all this going to law school. I wasted taking out student loans and everything because there's not enough of us to change this system. This system, I thought for the longest time, this system is broken. It's not broken. It works exactly the fucking way it was designed to work. And it works perfectly, right? You have a system, you had a constitution that said you're three fifths of a person if you're black. If you had a drop of black in you, that's it. We talk about Plessy v. Ferguson. We talk about all of these, you know, things. We, you know, whatever, all these seminal Supreme Court decisions. And then it says, you know, all right, we're going to abolish slavery. And then slavery is abolished, but for the prison system, right? So we gonna still get slavery with the prison system. So we gonna lock you up. The, it just, you know how our parents, right? There's things that come out that was new to them. And then as time yeah. goes by, it gets yeah. recycled and it shows up in a different way. That's how I feel this is, right? We had slavery, you had all these people. All right, so y'all decide some of y'all wanna be good humans. And so we're going to abolish slavery, say less. We're going to put it in a penal system. And what we're going to do is, is we're going to have for-profit prisons. We're going to, you know, round up people, right? We're going to have an agenda, right? We're going to create a fraternal order. We're going to have an agenda. And the agenda is, is that we're going to round up black people, the majority of black people, right? We're going to round them up and we're going to put them all in prisons because we can get indentured servitude out of them in there. And for the ones that we can't put in there, because I mean, we crowd in our prisons and we can't build them up fast enough, right? We got to build them up in neighborhoods where we talk about school to prison pipelines. What we'll do is we'll murder those because we got this federal nigger hunting license, invisible, right? That we can use to do that. And then for those other ones, we'll give them the idea that you have justice, you have due process, right? You have fundamental rights and we'll let them go through this court system that doesn't give a shit about any of us, right? What'll happen is he that shall remain nameless in the George Floyd trial, he will, he might get convicted, might, might get convicted. And I say that simply because so many white people spoke up about that it was totally uncalled for and unnecessary. He should not be dead. But those other two, they not going to do no time. If he does time, right? Those other officers, if they charge them, they're going to get, they, they not going to do no time. None, none. They might get something like, you, they, they, they'll never charge them with a conspiracy. They'll never do, you know what I'm saying? They'll never do, it'll never be anything like that. You know what I'm saying? They'll get some low level, you know, if they even get any of that. And that's it. And we don't, there is no, you go through the court system for what? So that I could sit in court like I did my first year of law school and watch parents crying on the stand because their daughter was killed. And you sit there and you watch them talk and you think that the only thing that they lost was their child, but they lost each other. They lost their marriage. They don't play music. I watched that father sit on that stand crying because his wife would ask him, you know, how was your day? Don't ask me how my day was. I had a bad day. I have a bad day every fucking day to live in a perpetual state of grief, a perpetual state of loss, a perpetual state of fear, a perpetual state of hate and disdain. And if you believe in God, you really want to kill yourself, but then, you know, you can't do that. 
and families are ripped apart and lives are thrown apart and the trauma passes down and down and down and you begin to inflict those traumas and those uh being overprotective and things like that on your children who then look at you like ma you bugging because they don't yet know they are they are untainted they've not been jaded by the world yet and there is no way to keep them safe. There is no way to keep them in their homes and in their beds because you get killed in your beds. You get killed in your homes. You can't say put your hands up because you still get shot. And so I'm like, it's just this, it's just, it doesn't stop. And every time I see something is draining and I appreciate the work that people do and I am exhausted. I am exhausted. I am tired. And I wish that we could have a solution oriented conversation about what we could do. I think about those people, because Yoli, you brought this up about desegregation and what Malcolm X said. And I think to myself, you know, who was it? Was it Marcus Garvey who said we should go back to Africa? Um, and I'm, I think about those 20 plus individuals, couples, whatever, they bought that land in Georgia, right? Supposed to be a refuge for black people. So what? So it could be like Black Wall Street, right? In Tulsa, where if we thriving and we doing shit, you're going to come and you're going to come burn our shit down. You're going to come and a white mob is going to come and cause an insurrection there. They're going to bloodshed. They're going to rape women, kill children kill men, do all that shit so that you could do that. While everybody was celebrating that and was like, it's dope. I'm just like, that's a fucking target. Not that being black isn't target enough. Right? We're just gonna, okay, we, we, you can't, you can't thrive here. You can't, you can't, you can't. You can't fly under the, it's, it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. You can't fly under the radar and not be seen. You can't thrive. You can't do anything. You want me to tell you what you can do for a little bit, right? You could be like OJ. You can get out there. You can be an athlete. You can be like Michael Jordan. You can be like, you know, Muhammad Ali. You can be all those things until you start speaking out. Then it's a problem. As long as you're making money for them, right? But to me, the NFL, NBA, and I watch those. I'm a diehard Saints fan. It's nothing but a a slave auction. It's nothing but a slave auction, right? We're going to stand there. We're going to look at look at the players, see which ones is the biggest, the most agile. And then we put them on there. We play a millions of contracts. I mean, play a millions of dollars so that we can say that that boy is a beast. He's a monster. The same shit that they already think we are, whether we play on the field or not. Yep. It is perpetual. Come on now. Don't you start talking mm-hmm. that talk. You're going to get me amped up. I'm like, that. That's, that's what it is. We can be athletes. Be a performer. Be an entertainer. Be a jester. Right? Get out there and do that. But don't, don't fucking talk about no shit. Don't take a fucking yeah. knee. Don't say nothing yeah. about anything. Sit your ass down. Play this game. Get this check. If get we short money. you, don't say nothing. You know what I'm saying? Don't do nothing. Don't go buy a house too fucking big. Don't get no rims. Don't do shit. Don't do anything. Because to do that, it, we we are, to do that, you know, we're a threat. And we're going to take a brief break. 
a very brief break and we will be right back. You know, all I heard you say before we took a break was get in the field, pick the cotton, make my money, and don't you dare try to do anything else. I'm going to whip you, kill you, lynch you, whatever. Like, I literally, that's what I heard when you were talking about that just now. Because that's what our ancestors did. They got in the field, they picked cotton, they made money for them, they hushed up, went on home. They came back the next day, did the same thing. Am I wrong? Nope. Nope. Because that's, that's all I heard you say. It's just that now I give you a million dollars and I allowed you to do like, that's it. Let me tell you who, you know who put it best for me? Who who really nicked it in the bud? Go ahead. The, the Percy Miller. He said when those record execs approached him, and offered him a million dollars, he said no. If they offered me a million, how much you think they really think I'm worth? Exactly. Do you hear me? That's why us taking back our power, that's why I refuse to this day, me and my brother get into it. We go at it every now and again, and I don't care. Everybody know my brother is my male older brother twin, and we are right as right, tight as boots. From the very beginning, I said, you're not going to call my son nigga. You're not going to call his hair nasty. You're not going to say he can't cry, and you're not going to force him to play sports or be an athlete. Those are the four things I said to my brother and my husband. I said, because we're not doing that. We're not doing that. I had no extra history behind why. God gave it to me innately. But I said, I refuse for us to adopt any type of self-hate. And I refuse to let these niggas beat our kids' bodies for their entertainment. Hmm. The true lifespan of any athlete Football is the shortest because of the physical trauma their bodies experience. Football is the shortest. At five years, the average football player plays in the pro um, NFL, pro ball, for five years. That's the average career span. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me, I, I'm going to correct that because the average is 2.6. 2.6 years, okay. the average NFL player is in the league. I did my entire um, thesis, dissertation, whatever you want to call it, in law school on yeah. CTE in the NFL. There we go. And well, there we go. I will say this, um, because I was just talking to this, this the guy that I was telling y'all about with the firm, and we were talking about this recently. And Giles and I was just talking about just how you have to create a space from the beginning that they go in the league until the end. But I will say this about, um, about sports. I think that 
you know, it, it, it's hard to say, and I've had this conversation with Marcel Sr. about BAM that, you know, whether or not he should play sports. You know, I, for, for the medical reasons, I say no to football. But then CTE comes, of course, it's in boxing, obviously, but baseball. So then I'm just like, you know, and boys like things like that. And so I, I just, for me, I'm like, I have to pray over my child. And that, that, recreation. huh? For me, it's recreation. What I mean by that is that we're not pushing the narrative that their only opportunity of success is athletic. Agreed. If my children don't have an interest outside of it being recreation, they don't have to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Physical wellness and all of that is extremely important to me. So, yeah, I have natural athletes. Legend, he's a killer on the tennis court. Volleyball. He's a beast. He's a, he is fire. He ain't a beast. He is fire. Natural born athletic ability. Honor, basketball, and archery. And both of my sons can swim like fishes. But when I'm telling them, no, they cannot, they are not pursuing athletics as a career, as an air quote opportunity mm -hmm. for success. That is not what we're doing. Because you're not about to sit here and treat my children like a piece of meat. We're not doing it. And for your entertainment. I think that... And um, the cold part. The fact that our men are so addicted to sports. It's a hard one for me, but... I'm you know what? I'm I'm not I can't say nothing about that because my I love basketball, I love football, but I love the shit out of boxing. I ain't gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. So I'm not the the you know that, but I also I also take into account um just the you know it's it is it, it, it's like you wanna buy black, right? You don't want to support whatever. But to be honest, you know, we don't have our hands in enough areas for us to just buy completely black in, in, in every place that we live. Right. So um, I I look at it just the way that I look at that. You know, I do what I need to do to the best of my abilities. Do I think that, yep, there's some racist people in Walmart's lineage, I'm sure. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever, or that contributed to whatever. But when it's brought to the light, like Rouse is in New Orleans, you was out there at that insurrection with that bullshit, say less. We don't shop at Rouse. I, we, we not buying nothing from there. I let every one of my aunts, everybody know, just in case they, they not watching the news. Nah, we, we not buying nothing out of there. I don't care where we got to go. We just not. And I'm not saying that no other grocery store out there is you know, doing that, but it's just, I'm, I'm not going to, it's one thing to think and suspect. It's another thing to know for a fact. Um, yeah. but I do want to talk about, I did, uh, I took a look at something and, um, Yale news last year. Um, and it said, uh, they published the article last year. Um, and it said over the past five years, there has been no reduction in the racial disparity in fatal police shooting victims, despite increased use of body cameras 
and closer media scrutiny, according to a new report by researchers at Yale and the University of Pennsylvania. And then they did an analysis, right? which took it a step further. And I remember, I'm going to pause for one second. In law school, we talked about how um, I did my critical race theory um, in-class project talking about uh, just disparities in the police with um, Black people. But I collaborated with my homegirl. And um, she is Native American. And she did it on the Native American side. And one of the things she talked about was actually that Native Americans have more interactions with the police, but it's not reported because they, right, they stay in their own little communities. They do their own things. They have their own businesses. They do all these things. And so usually that news doesn't make it out. So with that in mind, I'll read the rest. In an analysis of 4,653 fatal shootings, for which information about both race and age were available, the researchers, and this is right, not the full number, because you had to have both race and age available for them to count it. The researchers found a small but statistically significant decline in white deaths, about 1%, but no significant change in the deaths for, right, people of color. There are 5,367 fatal police shootings during that five-year period, according to the Post database. And this came from the Washington Post. In the case of armed victims, Native Americans were killed by police at a rate of three times that of white people, right? So you hear that three times. And then it says black people were killed at 2.6 times the rate of white people. And so you think, I thought, right, Native Americans more still the same. But then I looked at the numbers, 77 total killed for Native Americans, 1,265 killed total for Blacks. And Hispanics were killed at nearly 1.3 times the rate of white people, 889 total killed. Among unarmed victims, Black people were killed at three times the rate, 218 total killed, and Hispanics at 1.45 times the rate of white people, 146 total killed. And I thought to myself, three times, three times the rate, right? Three, and, and this is unarmed, unarmed Black people. In a 2018 study from the University of Pennsylvania found that police killings could contribute 1.7 additional poor mental health days per Black person every year, or 55 million more poor mental health days for Black Americans annually. It's just that continual loop of trauma. It's just, it just, it, it, even when we say the Native Americans are killed at three times the rate of white people, you're looking at 77, like they, they don't even break 100. Right, right. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like, I do not know, and I wish if listeners have ideas, please share um, those ideas on my social media page, which is on Instagram, Mommy Ng, M-O-M-M-I-N-G, wow, W-H-I-L-E, Black, B-L-K, and drop it in the comments. But um, I'm talking to y'all because for us, we all have a black male presence in some way, right? Of course, we came from black male fathers, but are tied currently right now to black men, black sons. Um, 
But Nichelle, I'm just curious what, how do you look at it or feel as it relates to Alyssa and Ariel? Because there you, you have daughters, not that things don't happen to black women, but do you find yourself more on edge because of your husband? And is it because he has freedom to move around more freely than your daughters? Or is it just that, let's say that you had a son and you had two daughters, right? Would you be have more of a concern for your son and slightly less, if not entirely less than for your daughters? Nope, equal. It's still a concern. It's still a concern, period. It's not, it, for me, it doesn't, at this point in time, it, it doesn't matter if you're uh, female or male. And they're showing us that. They're showing us that. Um, I, it's just a concern, period. Like, I always think about, like, you know, I talk about my kids, you know, college. We talk about college and the future and stuff like that. And I think about ways that I need to prepare them because they're not always going to be in the house. They need self-defense classes. You know, they need they need to know, like, when they, when they get older, they yes. start working. I think yes. about all of this, things that I have to, like, I'm already instilling them, uh, instilling in them at this age, you know, with, with, at this level. And I explain to them, it's like those video games y'all play. That it's something at every level. It's different. It's different at every level. But I have to prepare them for the future. Whether they're son, whether it was my son or my daughter. And no, we don't have a son, but it don't make it better with Anton. Mm -hmm. Um, during the riots last year, I forget with 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 what death it was. Um, but we were, we were, I call myself sitting down with the girls and allowing them to, you know, watch the marches and stuff like that. Not the right, but the protest, excuse me. Um, and my daughter, at this time, my husband was out in Baltimore and, um, and he was driving. And Alyssa said to me, she said, mommy, is daddy going to make you back home? Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, she was eight years old at the time. Eight. Well, the time that we, my husband called me because the police stopped him because they said he ran a stop sign. Come to find out the stop sign, what you couldn't even see it because it was hidden behind the tree. And even though he did, he didn't, he, he, he told me, he was like, I didn't really want it because I really did stop. He said, "Well, I noticed it was there. You know how when you're you're driving, you see you see the stop by the last minute, so you stop." Mm -hmm. He said, "I still stop." So he called. I'm sitting here doing my daughter's hair, and he calls me. I put him on speakerphone. He begins to tell me what's going on. The girls begin to cry because all they're being raised in a culture where all they see is us being killed. You know what the crazy shit is? I'm thinking right now, Bam was born in 2017 and we did the first Christmas when he was born and um, we were in Dallas. Second year he was born and we came back together, all three of us. But the second year he was born, Marcel had to leave for work. 
So, um, and at this time, Marcel and I, we were not together. We just celebrated Christmas with everybody. But he um, he left to fly out. And because we had so much stuff, I took his car and drove it back to Houston. And I'm driving on the interstate. I'm doing the speed limit. And I see all these people driving slow um, on 45, coming back from Dallas to Houston. And it's two lanes. And there's a cop. And it just irks my soul when people drive slow around a cop because it's just like, because they driving slow. So it's like they're going to hold up traffic because nobody wants to be the person to go around them, right? And so I, decide, so I decide to go around them. And I got Bam in the car, but I decided to go around them. Um, I needed to be back to Houston for a certain time. I had a meeting and um, I was like, I'm going around and I'm still doing the speed limit. He's doing below the speed limit. Remember this moment right now, because I'm going to say something in a second about going below the speed limit. So we, I'm driving, going, you know, he's going below the speed limit, but I'm not going over the speed limit. So I drive past him and the, the spirit told me you about to get pulled over. And immediately I thought to myself, LT, that's your bad, because I always pray before I get in the car. I specifically pray for, I bind up in my prayers. I pray, Lord God, please carry us safely to our destinations and safely back home. I pray over my entire family, my friends and their families. And I pray, I pray that, you know, we, I bind up reckless driving and endangerment, be it on our part or the part of other drivers. I pray, I bind up accidents. I bring, bind up car trouble, engine trouble, blowout tires. And then I lastly bind up interactions with the police every single time. And I got in this car and got on the road in my haste and did not pray. And I was like, all right, God, the first time I don't pray, this happens. Roger that. Won't happen again. I get pulled over. Cop comes. Bam, sleep in the car. And he pulls me over. And he was like, do you know what I pulled you over for? And I'm like, no. But let me tell y'all, in that moment, uh, a panic, a fear came over me. Why? I had a bunch of stuff in the car. But I also had a gun because for Christmas, I was gifted a gun. I said what I wanted was a gun. And I got, and when I got ready to open the wrapping paper and I opened it and I saw just the, the piece, the holder and the, the case that the Glock comes in. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was hollering and screaming. I was like, I got a gun. I got a gun. I was hella excited. I got my gun. And I'm thinking to myself, he and I got it in the front seat on the floor, the front passenger side on the floor. And I got stuff in the car, but I'm like, if he sees that Glock case, I mean, I don't, I, I mean, you can spot, I knew when I saw it, what it was, you know what I'm saying? So obviously they know what it is too. And I thought to myself, if he looks down at this floor and he sees that down there, he could pull out his gun and think that I, because I had that gun there, I could reach down because it's in my wingspan. I could reach down, open that case. He don't know if it's loaded or not. I ain't even have bullets yet. And then, you know what? Shoot me. And then I and I was so upset because this man told me he pulled me over because Marcel, in his infinite wisdom, he has a license plate on the back of the SUV and not on the front of it. And in Texas, you got to have a license plate on the front and the back. And so that's why he yeah, pulled me over. 
He pulled me over and Marcel had the other license plate. He just didn't want to drill on the front of his car. So he didn't put it on there. And the the guy was like, give me your, your driver's license, your registration and all this stuff. I'm in his car. So I reach in the glove box thinking that's where you keep your shit at. Right. And so I'm, and I got to reach in the glove box, obviously over where the gun case is. And I'm reaching in there and I start crying. I'm shaking. I'm starting to cry because I am literally fearful that this man will kill me and my child will be on the side of the fucking interstate at a year old with nobody in a fucking city that we do not know. And he was like, where's your insurance? And I'm looking all in the car. I'm calling Marcel. I done called him two, three times. He answered the phone. So now I'm on a 10 because I'm ready to put hands on this nigga when I see him. And so I'm like, I'm fired up because I was like, man, if something happens and bam, like all I was just thinking about was bam, 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 bam. And he went back to the car and he came back and Marcel still hadn't answered. I'm still calling him. He ain't answering and he comes back and he was like, um, at this point, Bam has woke up now because the car done been stopped for so long. And he's crying in the back. And I was thankful that my child started crying because when he started crying, he was like, I would take you. We are supposed to impound the car here in that particular jurisdiction I was in when you don't have proof of insurance. He was like, but I'm not going to impound the car. He was like, I am going to give you a ticket. And I was mad because I'm like, I got to take it. But I also, but I was very grateful that he did not do anything and that he never saw that gun on the floor. And I made it to the next exit and I pulled off. I was so, my nerves were so bad and I was crying that I just, I couldn't like get myself together. Like, forget that. I ended up not making the meeting and I was just, I was so upset and I was so just like I thought to myself, like anything could have happened. We are in some place where we don't know, know anybody, anything, anything. I thought I said, man, I could call Joe or I could call Trail, which is Bam's aunt and uncle. I was like, and they would have came, but I wouldn't have been able to tell them where to come to. I was just, I wouldn't have been able to say nothing. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever. And I, I didn't even think to record or do anything. All I kept thinking was, I hope this man does not see this gun. Let me not agitate him or anything like that. And I, I, it just, just the idea that I had to be fearful in a state where you can carry, right? Where I, I, you, I don't have to register my gun here. And so. No, 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 no. They know you're in an open carry state, but you can't carry. They can carry. Exactly. So I think we get that mixed up. They can carry, they can shoot. The minute you would have told that cop that you had a gun in the car, you became a threat. And you know what? So that would totally been God, God allowed that question to never even come up because that man never asked me if I had a gun in the car. I had any weapons in the car. He never asked me. And, and if he had, even now while I'm talking to y'all, I don't know that I would have told him the truth because I would have felt damned if I do, damned if I don't. If I say, yeah, but I don't got bullets in there, you're going to pull out your gun or say your fucking taser and then shoot me. Or I say no, and then you see it later, and now I'm a liar, and now you can't trust anything I say. So 
You know what I'm saying? Like to be put in that space. Uh, yeah. You know, like just yeah. to be in there. And I was so mad with him. I mean, I would not say nothing to him for months. I was on a thousand, my child's father. Cause I was like, you I'm telling him I'm crying. I'm upset when he finally calls me back. And he men, you know, men think that you overreacted, but that but but it ain't you. It's not you. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? Like Bam would have been out here, anything could have happened to him. Right. They, anything could have happened to him. They could have put him with child protective services and y'all looking all over for my child. Like just, I, I just, and I have said for years, for years, and we're going to be coming to a close in a little bit, but I've been saying for years that I was like, I need dual citizenship with another country. And the reality of that shit is, and Yoli said this at the beginning, that what do I, what am I doing when I think about dual citizenship with another country trying to find a country that is the least racist because of the color of my skin? Man, it doesn't really exist. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, like, to be honest, it doesn't yeah. really exist. It's, it's a couple things. It's, it's parts. Yeah. It's, it's parts of the world that are, um, because their culture is lax, they're less connected. Mm -hmm. and you know they're less exposed to the world culture um against us if you would um so there are places but before we go there don't forget your thought Mimi. i want to say back to you as well right um michelle i'm sorry that um when you talk about how they feel like we're overreacting okay. this is another touch point for them mm -hmm. you know why though because they have been trained not to react so oftentimes it's not them intentionally diminishing our emotions and our experience but as men and black men in a society that they know has a target on their back they cannot afford to have a bad day. They can't. Meaning, they cannot succumb to their emotions. They right. cannot react. They are trained with um, with scripted responses. So there is a suppression of their humanity where they are not allowed to emote. So we are overreacting to them. Oh my God. Mm. Because their life experience is different. As a black woman, I fear less about an officer killing me than I do about an officer attempting to sexually assault me. Wow. Wow. And I fear less you know, that's a whole nother topic. That's a whole nother episode uh, topic of, oh my God. So, I'm not excusing anyone's perspective. I'm not excusing anything. I just think that that's what you said was an opportunity for me to have us all consider, um, as I know we have sisters listening and some brothers, but we, we have to remember that we have to be their sacred space and think in the capacity we're gifted as women from God that we can mm -hmm. operate at a higher emotional frequency so we then in turn 
have to think for them emotionally. Yeah. Meaning we remove taking things personal and the offense from our men when they say we're overreacting. We're allowed to emotionally respond. Hmm. All we get labeled is the angry black woman. But that still doesn't always compute to a physical threat. Let me kill her. Uh huh. So we have to think about that um, and find grace for them because being women, we're innately equipped with so much more than they are apart from our environmental and external influences. So I just wanted to share that really quick. Michelle, I hope you did not forget your thoughts. I hope you didn't forget your well no we not no i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you finish your thought we're gonna take a pause for a brief break and then you you can come back you can finish your thought um and i'm gonna uh make a comment in reference to what uh yoli said after that as well All right, Nichelle, you got the floor. Okay, so all I was going to say, okay, LT, when you were telling your story, all I was, all I saw was when there was like when the police pull us over, and it's just in the response that the police get their gratification. I don't know why I saw that, mm-hmm. and this is what I mean. They already know that we're scared. So when we begin to cry, when we begin to fumble in our speech, they it gratify. I don't know why I saw this, but it's like they get some type of gratification from this. Again, that's put on the next mentality. I don't ever want you to think that you supersede me. I have the power and authority. You don't. They know what's going on in this world. You would think that they would respond better. But again, no. That's not what they want. They do not want us to get up from where they have us. And that's that foot on the next mentality. I'm sorry. I don't know why I saw that when you were telling me that story, Elsie. Two, Yoli, when you were just talking before we went on break, let me say this. Anton had, um, when Anton began to communicate with me about, uh, well, let me say this, not communicate with me about him getting pulled over by the police. And you know what he said to me? He said, Shell, it's enough that I have to deal with that. And if I tell you you're going to get emotional, you're going to get upset, and I can't handle that, I have to be able to hold it together. Mm. Yes. It's so, yeah. so many times, like, I ask him, how, because he, uh, he drives for live. He goes in some really crazy areas in Baltimore, which is all black. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, not now, because they just, they, they're gentrifying everything. But, like, it's some really rough areas in Baltimore. And he will get pulled over for being in these areas. 
He can get pulled over five times a week. He will not tell me. It is not until I find a ticket or a, some type of citation that shows, and I'll ask him. And he'll say, I'm good. It's good. Don't worry about it. I'm here, right? Mm. And it leaves me at a pause. It does. Because I already know you're in a dangerous situation. So I'm not only praying against and praying over you, praying over your car. I'm praying, uh, praying about the people that's getting in your car, the atmosphere in your car. I also have to pray about the interactions with the police and the neighborhoods you go with. And anybody that knows anything about Baltimore, they're shooting up everybody like it's damn, what is it? Shooting season. Hunting season. And I'm already praying that you make it back home. So when he does decide to communicate, like Jolie said, I have to keep my mouth shut. I have to stay calm. I give him a hug. And at the same time, I just say, thank you, God, for bringing my husband back home. Safe and sound to his family. That's, that's, that's the second one. The third one. When it comes to the girl. Like I said, I, did, I, I, I was not raising my girls to um, see color because I was not raised in that type of home. I had a best friend who was white. I had another friend I hung with who was white. And that was my crew when I was growing up as a child. So when I had girls, I, we, did not, we, we didn't talk about, you know, racism or, you know, they're 12 and 9. But now I have to. I have to. That's besides... Um, instead, you know, raising them or training them for self-defense, training them for when someone tries to touch them in a way that they're not supposed to be touched. Or if somebody tries, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like things that mm-hmm. black women go yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Because I know that I cannot keep them in this house. I even tell my girls, mommy is not raising you. I am not, I'm not raising you to stay in this house, to live in this house. And I am not going to be on this earth forever. But my God, when I leave here, I pray to God that I have instilled and taught you everything that you need to live in this world. Absolutely. And black women face a lot. I got to teach you to be yourself and 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 not only be yourself, but do it freely. You're yeah. not a follower. You are You are a leader. I don't care what they say about your skin. Yes, they are fearful. I can't explain to you why they fear us. But what I won't allow that fear is to eat you alive. No. Mm-hmm. You have to be brave. You have to step out there. When my, when they, when my daughter was younger, we, we had the, we had the, we, I'm sorry, I'm, we did have a conversation when they were younger about being black, about being brown, mm-hmm. and about their hair. And I've been telling my kids before they entered into this world that they were beautiful. And when they got here, I told them they were beautiful. I've always told them, you are beautiful and you are intelligent. You are God's child. So when it comes to them, like I said, daughter or son, it's the same thing. We have to be instilling in our children some a lot of stuff. A lot. I'm sorry, y'all. Y'all know I get back to it. A lot. 
to go outside of these walls and live and be confident and be brave and to do things with courage. And it, is not, our, it, yes. is not, it is not our job to beat them down. It is our job to raise them up so that when the world tells them you're less than, you're third of, or whatever it is they say, you can say you can stand flat-footed with your head held high and say, you know what? That's not the way my mother raised me. I'm going to march on and I'm going to move forward. That's my job. And at the end of the day, as a wife, as a mother, to cover my home. So when they're sleeping, that's me to pray in. Sometimes they'll hear me praying out loud, covering everything. I don't know why they fear us when we're so full of love. I don't know why they fear us. We're the first to invite them in our home to eat collard greens and pork chops and ribs and whatever else. I don't know why they fear us when all we want to do is teach them. I don't know why they fear us. Is it because we're resolute people that we can get over and not get over in a negative way, but because they burnt the bridge down, we built another and we walk across it. We're resilient people. Is that what pissed you off? That you're given everything and you still can't live. I'm done. I think that um, a couple things. I appreciate both of you ladies Again, being here for talking, for opening up, um, for revisiting, putting yourself through PTSD, even having a conversation. But um, I appreciate what you said, Yoli. How so? Think that uh, that you know it's that double-edged sword. You want to be a refuge for your husband, your brother, your son for them to be able to come and tell you what's going on. But you but you got to hold it in. You know what I'm saying? Like black women, we always got to hold it in. We got to shut up. Somebody sexually assaults you. What did you have on? If somebody does something to you, turn the other cheek. We got to hold a family together. We got to all of that stuff. And then we got to carry that as well. And uh, fortunately, when I hear you talking, I just hear it's just another thing that black women got to do. We just got to put up with it's the it's the it's the you know, it's a gift and a curse being born black. And the and the curse side of it is we got to always shoulder shit, you know. And um, but that is true, though, when you say that um, and I'm going to think about that. I'm going to ponder on that even after, you know, we disconnect that black men are, you know, they have been trained to use your word from earlier to not show emotion, to not, to be numb, essentially be numb. We have to be numb, numb. And, um, I hope that's not a solution. I hope that is not the only thing that we have to do is just be numb and to, not become attached to your kids and your husband and your wives and your sisters, your mothers, your brothers and everybody else, because they may be taken away from you. And in a, in a manner that is inhumane, unjust, you know, 
embedded with racial disparities and implicit bias and hatred and maliciousness and vindictiveness and, you know, just demonic. And that's the way that we deal because you have to be numb. So the solution is to be numb. If you don't love on those things so much, then you won't hurt so much. Um, I pray that that's not that, um, that that's not the way that it is. I am exhausted. I feel like I need a leave of absence from, I don't want to say of life because I believe that there's power to words. Um, but maybe a leave of absence of this country might be it. Um, I am tired of crying. I am tired of grieving. I am. I looked at DeWante Wright and I saw a child with a child. And yes, he was somebody's child, but that boy looked like a little boy. He looked so young. And now we have another black male that's going to grow up without a father. Our black men, our black people, our black women, we are endangered species. We are endangered. We are, we are endangered. We are, we, we, we have suffered a PTSD of now looking at white people walking around with red hats on to see if it's say make America great again, make America great. Because if we see that, not saying that all people that voted for Trump are racist, but every racist person definitely voted for Trump. I a thousand percent believe that. And um, just, just that, just that is just heavy. And so I'm thankful that, you know, I have my tribe and y'all two are a part of that to pray with, to talk to, to lean on, to breathe over our children, to breathe over our men, to breathe over ourselves. We probably should pray more over ourselves um, in that regard. But um, I do want to, before we close it out, say a couple things. One, Black men, Black boys, Black ladies, Black daughters, Black girls that, you know, we are we are the essence of beauty is the presence of color. We are magnificent. We are regal. Success is our birthright. Um, longevity in life is our birthright. Even when they try to snuff it out, it is. And even when you kill a person, you can never kill an energy. You can never kill a legacy. You can never kill a memory. You cannot kill an idea. Um, Nazis tried to do that. Americans tried to do that to Asians. You know, I think about slavery just breaking down a spirit, but we are resilient. We are resilient. It is in our blood. We breathe it. We live it. Um, all right, ladies. So I wanted to do something that's um, unorthodox for mommy and wild black, but unorthodox is normal here. And I say that all the time. So what I want to do is just cover, cover our children, our sons, our daughters, our husbands, our wives, um, our mothers, our fathers, our aunts, our uncles, our cousins, just 
our friends. Um, just I want to pray for every black person. Um, and uh, yeah, I want to pray for every black person with a focus on, of course, the U.S. and just praying um, over them, even the ones that are police officers that, uh, you know, they remember first and foremost, you know, what it's like to be in our shoes. Um, and so are y'all on board with that? All right, so y'all already know um, what we what we want to do. <laughs> hey, y'all, this listeners, this is how we regularly do it. We be like, who want to pray? Oh, who wants to go? So, one of y'all want to start it off, or one of y'all want to lead it? Or y'all want me to do it? Great, sir. Great, sir. All right. Lord God, we just come humbly before you, God. We thank you for this opportunity to fellowship again with our sisters, God. God, I thank you for each and every one of their lives, God. I thank you for their families. I thank you for their husbands, their children. Um, God, we just pray right now that you just place hedges of protection around each and every one of them, God. Let no evil come nigh their households, God. God, keep them safe. Protect them from all danger seen and unseen and from all evil seen and unseen. Lord God, we just come humbly before you and we are praying for the black community, God, everywhere, but specifically in the United States, God. God, we just pray that you just place your hands on us, God. God, protect us, protect our sons, protect our daughters, protect our husbands, God, protect our mothers, our fathers, our cousins, our sisters, our brothers, God, God, our friends, Lord, Lord God, colleagues that we may be acquainted with, God. We just pray right now that you just heal this nation, God. God, we ask that you bind up racism, God, and I know that that is a super um, big ask, God, but you are an awesome God. You are a restorer, God. You are Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, God. And we know that there is nothing too big nor too small that we can ask of you, God. So we ask genuinely and humbly, God, that you do that, Lord. Lord God, we pray over each and every police officer in this country, God. God, we bind up implicit bias, God. God, we pray right now that you send in a team of individuals, God, across all of these police departments, God, to defund the ones that need to be defunded, God, to start them anew, God, to train them on implicit bias, to train them on racism, God. God, we pray right now that you go in and you do a massive sweep in internal affairs, God. God, that spirit of hiding and turning off body cams and dash cams and covering God, that spirit of covering up and lying and deceit, God, that you just remove it, God. God, let let this George Floyd trial come out with a positive verdict for the George Floyd family, for the prosecution, God, and that this man will get a stiff, a harsh sentence, God. Let him set a precedent. Let this trial set a precedent, God, so that other police officers will become fearful, God. God, we pray right now 
Lord, that it, the police officers that are on the job that are seeing things that are being done wrong, let them be bad apples in a place where there are nothing. I mean, let them be good apples in a place where there are nothing but bad apples in a rotten tree, God. Let them speak out, God. Let them separate themselves out from those individuals, God. And I pray, we pray, God, that there is no retribution, that there is no um, spiteful acts, that there's no hostile work environments that are created as a result of them speaking up for what is right. God. God, we pray right now, Lord, that you protect individuals around this country as we interact with police, God. But more importantly, as we raise our children, God, give us the tools that we need to instruct our children in the way that is of you, that is of that is of your word, God. Give us the, the right way to show our children how to interact with the police, how to interact with individuals that are not of our color, whether we're on the job, whether they are in school, God, God, we just thank you right now for their lives. And we just thank you for this opportunity to come together and pray on behalf of this Lord. And lastly, we pray that the president steps up, that this nation steps up, God, that uh, silence is complicit, God. And so God, we just pray right now, Lord, that you just move this administration in a mighty way, God, that there are calls for us to be peaceful and to remain calm, that they stop doing that, God. The time for remaining peace and the time for being peaceful and of being calm is no longer, God. God, we pray right now for action, God. God, we pray for positive action. We pray for a positive change, God. God, we just pray that you go in and that you do something that has never been seen and never been done before, God. And so we just thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, ladies, thank y'all so much for being on this episode of Mommy and Wild Black. I will definitely have you guys back on um, because I do want to talk with both of you individually about your businesses, about Mommy and Wild Black, life in general. Um, but I do want to give both of you an opportunity to share information about your social media page, where listeners can find you, et cetera. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this opportunity, for the platform. Thank you for being the safe place. Thank you for allowing us to say the things that are probably on the minds of many, but not on the mouths of many. So we thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, for sure, for sure. So if you want to connect with me in any way, shape, or form, please, please feel free to follow me on Instagram. I am freely underscore Yoli, or you can go to my business page, the Freedom Architects um, on Instagram as well. And we'll love to connect with you if you're looking to um, do away with balance and find harmony in your life. We are the ones for you. We can help you design and define what freedom is to you. Nice. Michelle? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, Joey said, like, this platform is amazing, and you're doing something amazing. You're serving your gift. And I appreciate you even thinking about having me on today. I had a great time fellowshipping um, with my sisters. Um, and I just, I'm really appreciative. If you want to connect with me in any way, like my sister said, shape or form, you can follow me at Excelling Life, that's X E E L. The letter N L I S E zero four one nine um, on Instagram, and I talk about everything customer service, just serving. Period. Um, I think we've lost our way when it comes to serving our community. We don't understand that 
Service doesn't start when you clock in. It starts at home. Mm. God bless good people. Amen. Amen. And then, of course, if you want to follow Mommy and Wild Black and keep up with anything that's going on on this side, you can follow me on social media. The page is Mommy Ng, M-O-M-M-Y-I-N-G, Wild, W-H-I-L-E, Black, B-L-K. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in. Please share, repost. Definitely come to uh, the Mommy and Wild Black Instagram page and leave your feedback. I love to hear it. I love to chat. Um, I might even go live just to have like a Q&A. So um, definitely show up. I thank you all for listening. I thank you all for your support and you guys have a good night.